I still haven't found what I'm looking for. How about that U2 song? You know what Bono said about that song? He said, it's a gospel song with a restless spirit. Can you imagine that? Check it out. A gospel song with a restless spirit. What are you looking for? What am I looking for? What are we looking for? What are Washingtonians looking for? You know what's interesting? Uh, just not too long ago, actually a few weeks back, I went with 10 other people from our Grace Church family to see the musical American Prophet. It's about the life of Frederick Douglass. And here we are with a bunch of theater-going Washingtonians, and the entire musical was just laced with the Bible, kind of sermonizing. But the end of it, the character who is playing Frederick Douglass, man, he just launches into a sermon at the end, and he's like, amen. And what did Washingtonians do? Like, what inspired them? Washingtonians who don't go to church and many of whom say, I've already decided about the Bible. I don't need the Bible. Bible's not good. How did Washingtonians respond to amen, amen? They launched out of their seats and started shouting amen in a packed house at arena stage. What is it that we're looking for? We're looking to be inspired. We're looking for something real. That is what we're going to talk about today. What is it that we are truly truly looking for. Well, I want to start by telling you a story about my father-in-law. He is known around Grace Community Church as Big Russ. He passed away back in 2017. But for the first oh, 10, 15 years of the life of Grace Community Church, he was famous. Like he was a legend around Grace. We called him Big Russ, not because he was big in stature, because he was only about five foot six. And I tell you, by the end of his life, he could almost stand up in the back of my minivan. So he wasn't big in stature, but he was big in personality. Oh man, he'd love to see people come to church. He would just light up. He was so excited, welcoming. And you know what? There are so many stories about encounters with Russ. I'm just going to tell you a couple now. We used to meet at Key Elementary School, which is right next to a to an apartment building. It was a high rise, probably about 12 stories high. And on Sunday mornings, Big Russ would be on the sidewalk just welcoming people. And we had some people show up at church at Key School one day. And they said, I didn't know what that old man was doing down on that sidewalk, but I just had to come and find out. That's how he would just drew people in with his personality. People would say to him, you prepare me to have an encounter with God. Oh my gosh. That's why people go to church. Whether you're a church person or you've never, ever been to church before, the number one reason people say they go to church is to encounter God. And it was said of Russ, you were the one that prepares me to encounter God. Now, Russ was not a churchgoer. He was a big party animal. He wanted his daughter, my wife, to go to church, but he wasn't going to church because he's not a church guy. And when he would take her to youth events and stuff at church, he'd sit out in the parking lot and drink beer. And he's just totally not a church person. But in the mid-80s, his life turned around and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he began to change. Now, Big Russ liked Cracker Barrel. You know that restaurant where you get the country food? He loved Cracker Barrel. We would go there. Help. In the early 1990s, it seems like, right around that time, Cracker Barrel, as a corporation, put out a statement that they would not employ gay people. No gays. And I remember one day being at the Cracker Barrel with Big Russ. And he very intentionally said, I want to speak to your manager. And he went to the manager and he shook the manager's hand and looked right in the manager's eye and said, I want to thank you so much for having a policy of not employing gay people. How do you feel about that? Big Russ was a great guy. Everybody loved Russ. Now, he 
did not feel it was okay to be gay. He did not feel that it was okay for people who were gay to work at Cracker Barrel. And then shortly after that happened, something else happened. Two gay guys moved into his neighborhood. Oh, problem. Oh, big, 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 big problem. Do you know why? Take a risk. Chat it up if you think you know why that was a big problem. Here's the answer. The two gay guys were great guys. Oh, yeah. Great guys. They became friends. Really good friends. Like, you know, the kind of friends where you like check on each other and take care of each other's houses. And Russ was in now the hospital towards the end of his life where you kind of go to the hospital and you visit or you get the mail and take it in or you make sure this is right or that's right. I'm, I'm talking good friends here. Okay. Where you actually care for somebody, not just a neighbor, but like we really care for somebody. And Russ, Russ began to love these two great guys that changed everything. When's the last time you changed? What is it really that we're looking for? Here's the thing about today, Hesed. Hesed humanizes. Okay, so if you're just joining this series, it'd really be helpful to go back and listen to the to the first two. That would help. But let me give you a quick, quick definition of Hesed. It's kindness. It's loyal devotion. And so what you see here is Hesed. It's the it's the way that God describes Himself. Like the first time in all of the Bible that God describes Himself, He says, "I'm a God of Hesed." And in this book of Ruth, Hesed is the very fabric of Ruth, and it is through the lens of these four chapters in Ruth that you can understand the entire Bible. Like, that is where you get your fixed point, in Hesed, in Ruth. And so if we can understand what's happening in Ruth, we'll understand everything else. But it's through this lens of Hesed. This is why Hesed is so important. So let me read to you Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read you verses 3 to 5. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So as we said earlier in this series, they go to live in the land of Moab. Now we're told here that in Moab, that the two sons, Malon and Kilion, they get married to two Moabite women, women, which was like a no-go. You're not supposed to do that. Malon and Kilion. Do you know what those names mean? Malon, sickness or disease. Kilion, destruction or annihilation. Who in the world names their kids that? Huh? Would you name your kid that? Of course not. What is really going on here? In the Bible, names indicate somebody's character, or the role that they play. Now, we're told that this happens during the time of judges. And what is going on during the time of judges? Nationally, Israel headed to destruction. Elimelech's family right here, headed to destruction. Malon Kilion, destruction, disease, and destruction. It all makes sense. Here's the thing, everybody. We have to be willing to go deeper in the scriptures. We can't go skim the surface. If you just skim the surfaces of it, 
you are not going to get the power of Hesed. You're not going to understand. Now, a lot of people say to me, but, but John, John, can I just read it in the Bible simple? Yeah, there's some things about the Bible that are really simple. Jesus Christ loves you. Okay. But if you really want to understand the deeper aspects of it, then it's going to take a lot of intellectual horsepower to understand that and to understand what the literature is doing. Do you really think they named their kids sickness, disease, annihilation, destruction? Come on. So what they are, this whole family is a microcosm of what is happening to the entire nation of Israel. Israel's on a path to destruction. That's what the book of Judges is about. That's why the book of Ruth begins with in the time of Judges, because the nation is being destroyed just as Elimelech's family is being destroyed. It's the role that they play in all of this. I just want to encourage you that if you want to find what you're looking for, it's going to be found in taking a deeper dive into scriptures and not just looking at the surface. Look, you don't want a surgeon who skimmed over his textbooks. You don't want a pilot piloting that big jet you're on and say, I just skimmed the textbooks about how to do this. No, you want somebody who studied very, very deeply. And here's the thing. A lot of times we get this mixed up. We think, oh man, if you go really deep into the scriptures, that just appeals to the church people. No, it doesn't. It appeals to not somebody's, it appeals to all bodies. You know why? Because Jesus Christ went deeper than anybody else. And church people and non-church people, they all got something out of it. It is only those who skim the surfaces that exclude people. But when you go deep into the Bible, it speaks to all of us, all of us. And that's why we've got to go deep. So what is really, really going on here? Well, we've got to talk about who are these Moabites and what is this land of Moab? We've got to go back to Abraham and Lot. Told that Abraham and Lot one day, they had herds and they couldn't stay together. You got Abraham, father Abraham, and you got Lot, his nephew. They have to separate. Abraham says to Lot, look, you go right, I'll go left. Or you go left, I'll go right. And Lot's like, okay. And Lot goes straight. Doesn't go right, left. He goes straight. Straight to where? He goes straight to Sodom. Now, what's going on in Sodom? Now, Sodom is famous as a city that would rob and rape anybody who came in from the outside. It's kind of like the concept, an early concept of a gated community. Here's how we're going to keep all the riffraff out, all the outsiders out. Here's how we're going to protect everything. Any stranger that comes in this city, we're going to rob them, we're going to rape them. So they were known as the anti-Hesed city. So so Hesed, what's Hesed? It's to show kindness, even to people who are strangers to you, even to people who are anything like you. So a guest comes in your city, a visitor comes in your city, and what are you going to do? You're going to show them kindness? You're going to take them in? Or are you going to show them anti-that, which is anti-Hesed? You're going to be mean and evil to them. So, 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 so they separate, and Lot goes straight down to Sodom. Now let's fast forward. Genesis 18. You have three visitors that visit Abraham and we're told he is sitting at the door of his tent. Now here is where it gets really fascinating, everybody, because the the link between Abraham and Lot and what they do in the scriptures is like identical. The language in the ancient Hebrew is saying these two stories are meant to parallel each other. And as you read it, you see that both Abraham and Lot with these visitors, it says that, and watch all these verbs, they see them, they greet them, they bow to them, they invite them in, and they feed them. It is showing that both Abraham and Lot both do hesed to these visitors. They both act in kindness to people they do not know. It's an act of hesed. It's true hesed to be kind, to be gracious, to be loving, and to give 
drink and to give food to somebody who's not yours, right? And to invite them into your house. But there is a difference between the Hesed of Abraham and the Hesed of Lot. Okay, so there is how Abraham, famous for Hesed, shows Hesed, and Lot, very, very similarly, shows Hesed as well. Now, here's how they're radically different in their Hesed. So, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, together are like Team Hesed, because they're working in tandem, they're preparing, and they're inviting in, and they're feeding, and they're doing all these things to make their guests feel wonderful. What does Lot do? He's not working with his wife. She's not even mentioned in the first part of this story. And when, when Lot sees these guests in the town square, he's like, come and stay at my house. That's Hesed. And they're like, we don't, no, 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 you got to come stay. You're like, we don't need help. We don't need anything. He said, like, we don't need your protection. Like, no, we don't, we don't need anything. Eventually he gets them to come in. All right. Then he's doing all this by himself. Now, here's where it gets really interesting and also a little disturbing. The town shows up, right? Sodom is famous for robbing and raping. Okay? They, they're the anti-Hesed city of the ancient Near East. The town shows up like they all show up at the door and they're beating on the door to Lot's house like, bring those men out. We want to rape them. And Lot goes out. He closes the door behind him and says, don't do this evil thing. So he recognizes evil. I am, I've got to protect my guest. But then he says this. He says, but I will bring out my virgin daughters and you can rape them as much as you want. So here is where Abraham and Lot are radically different. Abraham has true hesed, hesed for all people. He doesn't stand for that kind of injustice. Lot has half hesed or horrible hesed or twisted hesed. Like I'll show hesed to some people, but I won't show it to all people. Like I'll protect these visitors who didn't even ask for protection but I won't protect my daughters who I should protect who are living in my house. Like these visitors, they didn't ask for a thing from me. These daughters, they deserve my protection and I will allow you to violate them all night long. That is twisted hesed. Now, do we have that kind of hesed? That's what that's what the scripture is saying to us. Do I have hesed for some people, but not all people? Do I humanize some people and dehumanize other people? Because that's twisted hesed. And Hesed is only Hesed if it's for all people. And that's Abraham's Hesed. But Lot's Hesed is really, really twisted. Now, the ancient Jewish scholars would say this. The reason Lot offers his daughters to the mob to be violated by them is because he is saving them for himself. Like, how does that work? How can he be saving them for himself? He's throwing them out to the mob. I'll come back to that in just a second. So, he offers his daughters, the guests reach out, pull them in, and then everybody outside is struck with blindness. And the guests said, get ready, we have to leave. Get your wife, get your daughters, and get your son-in-laws. Well, where's the son-in-laws coming in? Well, they probably weren't married yet because in the ancient Near East, you could be like engaged to get married and not married and still call it a son-in-law. So that's probably what's going on there. And so Lot tells the son-in-laws and they laugh him off. Lot tells his wife, we got to go. Like, okay, we're going. And then the daughters, and so they're trucking out of town. And this famous scene, Lot's wife looks back. What does that mean? She turns into a pillar of salt. What does that mean? It means she is longing for the anti-Hesed society. And if you long for it, you will be consumed by it. Because anything that commits itself to the ways of 
not having kind of or dehumanizing somebody. If I dehumanize somebody, I will destroy them. And eventually the fact that I am dehumanizing somebody, I will destroy myself. That historically is what takes place. The Nazis were known for dehumanizing and the Nazis destroyed themselves eventually. Look, that's what happens. That's why we got to get on the Hesed path. So they go and now you got Lot and you got his two daughters. And they go to a cave and the daughters think the whole world has been destroyed. And so they come up with this plan and say, let's get our dad drunk. And in an act of twisted hesed, like he's already taught them, that the way to save the world or the, or, or, or the way to salvage a bad situation is you sacrifice yourself. So he was willing to sacrifice his daughters to the mob to protect the guests. And now the daughter's saying, you know what? We're going to do this thing. We're going to save the world because we think everybody's dead. So we'll get our dad drunk. And the oldest daughter will go in and sleep with the father incest. This is really gross and get impregnated. But she's doing it for a noble reason to save the whole planet because everybody's dead, but it's twisted hesed. And what happens is people are hurt desperately as the result of twisted hesed, half hesed. Horrible Hesed, where you humanize some people and dehumanize the other. Remember a second ago when I said the ancient Jewish sages said he's really saving them for himself, speaking about Lot and his daughters. This is what they say. If you are willing to offer your precious daughters to a mob to be violated over and over and over again, eventually you will violate them yourself. That's exactly what he did. What is the result of that incestuous situation? The Moabites. Ruth is a Moabite. Okay, everybody, a little, little engagement here. All right, if you're on the chat, I hope you are. What does the Bible say is the sin of Sodom? Because the Bible tells us clearly what it is. How about this one? What does the Bible say is the reason why the Moabites cannot be a part of the Israelite community? It tells us clearly, like, why can't you marry a Moabite like Ruth? Why are they off limits? Because the Bible tells us really, I'm not going to give you the answer today. You can, you, you can look them up. I'll give you the answers to all those in a few weeks. Here's what I want to give you the answers to today. What is the name of Lot's wife? Hmm? Or how about this? What is the name, right? The two daughters, Lot, they go into the cave after the wife turns into the pillar of salt. She's kind of succumbs to the same destruction that the anti-city, the anti-Hesed city succumbs to, right? What are the names of the daughters? Or what are the names of the son-in-laws? You know what the answer to all those questions are? We don't know. They are anonymous. They are nameless. They are dehumanized people. They're not people. They're things. They're objects. Because Hesed humanizes. And Lot had twisted Hesed, rough Hesed, horrible Hesed. So there's no names given there. Lot has chosen the path to destruction. The book of Judges is following the path of Lot, not the path of Abraham. And that's why it ends in the most vicious, sickening, nasty story the Bible ever has. It is terrible because that's the path to destruction. Hesed is how you turn the sinking ship around, right? Now, let me show you a map. Here's a map of Israel uh, back in these days, like the time of Judges. Here's the map. And you see there's all these different tribes there, right? 
You notice down towards the bottom, we're told right at the beginning of the book of Judges that God says, I am raising up Judah. What does that mean? It means that Judah, the tribe of Judah, is meant to lead Elimelech in our story of Ruth introduced to us here. This family that's being completely destroyed, he's from the tribe of Judah and he's from the city of Bethlehem. That's royalty. That's leadership. Judah's supposed to lead. Judah never leads. Actually, they kind of get together with one tribe and they do a little bit of joint working together in leadership. And then that's it for the rest of the book. They do no more leading. And then Judges is famous for Judges. And what happens if you look at that map, see that map right there? That each judge just kind of works its way up through the tribes all the way till you get to the last judge, the famous Samson. He's the final judge and he's no judge, no leader at all. He's terrible. He's the most selfish person like in all of scripture. And we'll talk more about him maybe some later Sunday. Okay. He's no judge. He's no judge at all. So you keep getting farther and farther and farther and farther away from leadership. And what's happening here? All the tribes are interested in their own thing. Everybody famously said in Judges does whatever they want to do. They're totally absorbed with self. They're polarized. It's like my tribe against your tribe and they're disintegrating as they pull down. They should be unified, but they're not unified by any unifying force whatsoever. They're completely polarized from each other, right? You got one tribe. They're very tribal. You got one tribe and that tribe's name is Republicans. And then there's another tribe and their tribe is the tribe of the Democrats, and then there's a Fox tribe and a CNN tribe and a mask tribe and I will never wear a mask tribe and a pro-life tribe and a pro-choice tribe. And then one tribe is made up of males and females and the other tribe is made up of all gender fluid people. And then you got the pro-gay tribe and the anti-gay tribe and I could keep going, but we're out of tribes. There's only 12 of them. And they're polarized and they're disintegrating. Now, how is God going to turn around this polarized, sinking and destruction ship? The book of Ruth. Ruth is the solution to all the destruction in the book of Judges. Now, hold all those thoughts just a second. I want to talk about a famous scene in the Bible of the golden calf, because it actually tells us a lot about what's going on right here. What happens? Moses is up on the mountain. There's fire on the mountain. God's speaking to him. He gives him the Ten Commandments. They're on these two tablets. And then God says, go down. The people have turned from me. And it's the ultimate disrespect. And like this golden calf that they make is the calf that is our God now. This is the calf that delivered us. And they're all bowing down and worshiping the calf and they're doing all kinds of crazy immorality and there's an orgy going on. It's just absolutely terrible. Moses gets down, he breaks the tablets. He can't believe it. Then he goes back up onto the mountain and there's fire and there's smoke and God reveals himself. For the first time, God says, I want to tell you exactly who I am. I want to describe to you my character. God says in Exodus 34, I am the God of Hesed. Now, what will the Hesed God do? What does that mean to be a God of Hesed? And how will this Hesed God turn this situation around? And now, here's what's fascinating. Then we get into this mind-numbing, detailed chapter by chapter, line by line, about the tabernacle. Like, we're so bored to death, we can't believe it. I mean, why do I even want to know about all these cubits and all these measurements? It's ridiculous. The tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? Tabernacle is the house of God. We're told in John chapter 1 that Jesus Christ tabernacled amongst us. He was the house of God living in our midst. The tabernacle. Why do we get all this information about the tabernacle? Why would we care? So what 
would a God of Hesed do to turn around this problem? What would you do? So you got people that are just radical sinners and they've been radically disrespected. What would you do to turn them around? How? I can think of about a dozen things that I would do to turn them around and not one of them is what God does. You know what God does? He says, I'm moving in. The holy God. Like, there's fire on the mountain. The mountain's trembling. There are people are so afraid to go close to the mountain. Like, don't go near. God is there. God says, you know what I'm going to do to turn this around? I'm moving in. I'm moving in right into the center of the camp. And all the tribes are going to be around me. What I want to do, I think the answer to this whole problem, God says, is I'm going to lay a little hesed on them. I want to love up on them with some hesed because actually hesed, love, kindness, as Romans says, it's the hesed of God that turns everything around. That's what leads to repentance. I wouldn't have thought it about, but God says if they would just experience some hesed from me, there's hope. That's the book of Ruth. And so God just pours out his hesed on the people and he moves and he tabernacles amongst them and it turns the ship completely around. Now, since we've told so much about the tabernacle, all throughout Exodus, and it's the center of everything, kind of in Leviticus and Numbers, and like, it's the tabernacle, it's the tabernacle. Where is the tabernacle in the book of Judges as they're falling apart? You don't even hear about the tabernacle until Judges chapter 18. And when you hear about it, you're give, given detailed directions on how to get there because nobody knows where it is. It is no longer the rallying factor. Listen, our answer to our problems today is the Hesed of God. It's not to hate other people. It's not to despise and dehumanize other people. If you are sick of the sin of the world, the answer God shouts resoundingly in his word is to Hesed people, not hate people. That's the path to turn everything around. So we're all polarized. We got all thoughts about this and that. The answer is Hesed. God makes that radically clear right here. Will we be a Hesed church? A lot of times we look at the world, we say the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And God says the reason it is, is the world is a reflection of the church. The world is a reflection of Israel. If we will be the true church, if we will be the Hesed, if we will be true followers of Christ, to be a follower of Christ means you're being a leader for Christ, means you're being a leader for Hesed. If we'll be a true reflection of Hesed, not half Hesed like Lot, Hesed some people, not all people, horrible Hesed like that, willing to protect some and violate others. If we'll have true Hesed like Abraham, be followers of Jesus, be followers of the faith of Abraham, the world will begin to reflect the church. That's how it works. If you think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, God's word says that human Hesed triggers divine Hesed, and that's what changes the world. Now, Dr. King, I think, says it so well. This is complete. This is, this is so much hesit right here. This is what he says famously. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So here's my challenge for you this week. Learn people's names. Call people by name. Pray for people by name. Pray for your enemies by name. If you don't like a certain tribe of people, start calling their name. Instead of throwing things at the TV screen or the laptop of people that you consider from another tribe, get their name and pray as God bless them. Pour your hesed out upon them. That's what it means to be a person who is after the hesed of God and is looking for a solution, not to be a part of the problem. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Hesed is a huge challenge. Help us to be people of Hesed. Help our church to be a church of Hesed. So we can be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. In Christ's name, amen.